greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. Keep your friends close, but your enemies closer. There are no two words in the English language more harmful than good job. to the Make Remake Literary License Podcast episode with Keith Shago and co-hosts Vicky Ray and Steve Templeman, discussing the original film and the remake, looking at what was improved upon, where they went wrong, and whether anything lives up to the original. Don't forget to have your say by commenting or sharing links, or just follow us below. Now on with the show! in the stars I just look down and worry about our place in the dirt hate is bad life's too short to be pissed off all the time it's just not worth it life see in this world there's two kinds of people my friend those with loaded guns I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. Yeah, well, you know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. Hello, welcome to Let Your License Podcast. And it's our new episode called Make Remake, where we discuss the original and the remake. And before we get started, let's find out who's with us. Uh, we got Vicky Ray with us. Hello, Vicky. Hey, haven't seen you in a long time. <laughs> no, hold <laughs> Whole 24 hours. <laughs> uh, so, um, and then myself, Keith Shago. Simon Templeman, unfortunately, can't be here due to work commitments, but he'll be here next month. So, before we get started, let's find out what we've been up to. And I think you and I, Vicky, have been up to the same thing since yesterday, which is watching Texas Chainsaw Massacre on Netflix. Uh, what are your thoughts? That was painful. <laughs> I tried yeah, to find, like, okay, they did have a couple of good kills. Spoiler alert. Like, where the guy's got his leg broken. Now, that that made me cringe. You know, where the, the good-looking redneck got his leg broke and stuff. I was really rooting for the good-looking redneck, okay? But the good-looking redneck died, like, in the, you know, after we got through 20 minutes well, of was... racism and climate change. <laughs> <laughs> and gun control. And gun control. Don't forget the gun control. <laughs> And the redneck was the only one that was good looking. The rest of them were quite ugly. I actually, it was not a very beautiful cast. They were a really ugly cast. <laughs> yeah, the redneck was good looking. I got to remember where I seen him. For, he was in something else. I didn't catch his name. It was mm. driving me nuts. Yeah, you, you know you're in for trouble when the only person you can find attractive is the redneck who hasn't looked like he's bathed, carrying a gun and um, using a lot of diesel. <laughs> and this is the one I find attractive. All the other people I'm like, you're really ugly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But the bus scene, you got to say, you know, well, yeah, without giving too much away. Um, obviously they never had fire drills when they were in school on the bus. Obviously. <laughs> 
that was just chaotic. But you got to love the one guy says, oh, buddy, he goes, don't be doing anything. He's holding his phone up to him. He goes, you're going to be canceled. Leatherface don't give a shit about that cancel stuff. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. What's going to happen to Leatherface's on Facebook page? <laughs> I know, they could have their face off of Facebook and Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> I know. It was just a bit, it was just a bit over egged, I think. I mean, the yeah. thing is, if they, were just, if they were just a normal bunch of people who said, oh, well, let's, you know, let's just, you know, build it. We got a ghost town here. Let's right. build it up and let's get a lot. But they kept put, you know, I mean, they could have mentioned it like once, but they mentioned it over and over and over About again. their utopia or their dystopia. Yeah, and about, you know, inclusiveness and being accepting. And then the first person they come across that lives in this town, they're treating her like shit. And she, yeah, they kill her, basically, because she doesn't want to leave her house. It is. So, yeah. yeah. And and the thing is, you can't just remove someone. I mean, there, there's a process you have to do anyway. So, yeah. you know, so, I mean, if the process was there and then they, you know, and then they showed that and then something happened and she died and stuff like this, then you go, oh, you know, Leatherface is in the wrong, but he's right. in the right because of the way they treated him. Because it's like, it's their house. Yeah, no one knew that Leatherface was a was a a cannibal serial killer that was in an orphanage. <laughs> he was just laying out with Alice Creed. Well, everybody's see, I mean, seen this. We can't even do a spoiler alert on it because everybody's all a buzz. You either loved it or you hated it, or you tolerated this or that. You know. Some people well, think it's the most brilliant piece of horror film they've ever seen already. You know? No, it's not that. I mean, I think I think the problem basically is that the continuity. I mean, if you're going to connect no it to conti- the- Well, they're trying to do continuity, but it doesn't fit, does it? Well, you can't because, first of all, um, Leatherface has a family called the Sawyer family. Right. I mean, the first one happens, okay, I'm going to be generous and say he's 25, though I think he probably was 30, some 30 plus. Right. Let's say he was 25. He's right. living with his family. So even if it's, I mean, his brother gets killed in the first one, gets right. run over, gets run over, unless you include the Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2, and his brother lives and gets a metal plate. But anyway, right. you know, but even if you include the second one in on it, leather, you know, his family's alive, and when his family does die, he wouldn't be going to an orphanage at 25 years old. No, no. And you got, no. yeah, no, there was something else that I was thinking about, too. I mean, and if, she, you, if, if you're going to hide someone out, you don't hide them in a small town, because everyone knows everybody's business in a small town, so everyone in that town would have known that this, okay, this is Leatherface the killer that everyone's looking for. And they you were know, selling I mean, little little Texas chainsaws, you know. Precisely. And I know. I saw they they still let you spend the night in the original store down there in Travis County. I've never gotten down there. I can't get anybody to go do anything with me. Well, it was it was a restaurant for a little while. Right, right. So. But now it's like a touristy attraction kind of thing. People can spend the night there and stuff. Yeah, it's a very beautiful house. So yeah. They have uh I'm trying to think. Um, the store I know is still operative, but I, I just didn't understand. I mean, I was trying to understand where they were coming from with it. I, I mean, it could have, it could have been if it was kind of some of the cast was okay, but it was a wasted cast. The ones that were good. And you I know, think, I think the film that came out two years ago, Leatherface. By that the, one, that's what I was trying to remember. Was it 2018 or 2016? Leatherface came out. I can't remember. 20, about 2018, 2019. 2018, because that was good. I really enjoyed that one. That you know who directed it? 
But you know who directed that, don't you? Is that that was uh, the la la la? The, the French directors who did Inside and Martyrs. Oh yeah. Oh well, that would explain a lot. I love both of those movies. But I was sitting there thinking about. Um, <clears throat> oh God, I just lost my train of thought. It was a good thought too. See, oh yeah, it was t- like a knockoff of Halloween. That was so Laurie Strode-ish, didn't you think? Yeah, and I mean, she, I mean, actually, pretty, pretty Sally turned into a mean-looking lesbian by the, it looks like, in the later ages stage. That's because I don't know. Sally Hardesty, reason- it didn't, it, I kind of, I mean, I almost wish that they made that where she was in the movie genuinely like a full force of character as opposed to how she was presented. And I mean, they have her slaughtering pigs for crying out loud. I doubt that's what, oh. what, what she would have gone for after her life of crime fighting, you know? Well, I mean, to be honest, I think that she should have gave Leatherface some money and said thank you to him because if it wasn't for him, she would have been stuck with her irritating wheelchair-bound brother, Franklin, who was bloody horrible. <laughs> there was just too many Franklins in this movie for me, don't you think? Yeah. Uh, I, uh, I hated Franklin in the original. When he died, I was like, thank Christ. It's like, you know, the thing is, and if he lived, and they lived, you know, they, you know, they survived, then she would have been stuck with him for the rest of her life. So he did, you know, Leatherface did her a favor. He kind of yeah. did. Was that a Tesla in the end? I don't know. It's like, you know, it auto drives. It's like, I don't know. That's like it's auto driving. It's like, I don't know. <laughs> Spoiler alert, but I thought that was like, oh my God, really? I don't know. <laughs> nothing says it. Nothing says it better to me than good old American gas and diesel. I'm sorry. I <laughs> it's <know>. like, no. <laughs> I mean, another thing is, is that you know that if you're going to kill somebody and they're, and they're like unstoppable and they, you finally do kill them. You double tap their head. You know what I mean? So I don't understand how he didn't die in this one either. But like I said, there's total spoilers. If you don't want to hear it, don't hear it. But everybody's ta- talking about it on the internet today anyway. It's like Twitter yeah. fading everywhere. Everybody's bitching at each other on Facebook about it. Of course, I got my goods in there. I had, had somebody, a couple people gave me some good answers, though, to my, you know, my, my answer. And so there was really good points on both sides, whether you liked it or not. And what do you, I mean, yeah. you just can't top that first chainsaw movie. I'm sorry, you just can't top Toby Hooper's chainsaw. Oh, I like I like the second one. That's directed by Toby Hopper as well. Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2. Oh, wait. Okay, who was in that one? Dennis Hopper. Oh, Dennis Hopper. My husband was just talking about that. We can't find he wants I told him I go, I think it's all the, the Texas chainsaws are are on Netflix right now because this one came out. I mean, I've been, I watched quite a, I, I meant I've started watching the, the original cause I needed to get back to my roots after watching that. I just mm. knew that my, I just like, Oh my God, I wanted to give it a fair chance. I did, but it was probably one of the worst movies I've seen in a long time. And that's saying, oh, mm. <laughs> I could tolerate a lot, but there was a couple of good kills. I will. There was a couple of good ones. So yeah, there's some good kills in it. I'll give it that. Um, no, I think the best Texas Chainsaw Massacres is the the original, of course. I like the second one with second Dennis one Hopper, good. and that one that was pretty much banned because I mean it's really hard to find. They very rarely show it on stream streaming because it, you don't hear or, it, hear or see about it anymore much. Well, it's because it's very very disturbing. Yeah, I mean, I think that's actually more disturbing than the first one, actually. Yeah. You well, know, all of it's disturbing, but 
when he's beating that guy over the head with a hammer over and over <laughs> and over and and then you know uh, I mean there's a lot of disturbing stuff in there. What about but, um, the one with uh what's her face? She played in uh, she's really beautiful. Oh Renee God. Zellweger. No, no, the second the the one that came out in twenty sixteen. Oh, Lily Taylor. Yeah. Did you like that one? She, yeah, she yeah. She was brilliant because she, she played the mom, didn't she? But Lily Taylor's always brilliant. So yeah, yeah, I like I like that one. But what's her name? I can't remember the actors in it. I like the I liked who they had in it. They were yeah, that was a legit one. It was kind of okay. They were going to a, they kept it where they were going to a Leonard Skinner concert, stuff like that. So I mean, they didn't really stray from it. They had a lot of pot in the car, but oh, uh, you're talking oh, you're talking about the remake from yeah, the remake. Uh, from the tw- the two thousands, back when they were yeah. remaking everything, that was okay. Yeah, and then they did um, a prequel to that, didn't they? Mm-hmm. So, well, what's what was okay. the one with the prequel? She was the though she's the goth. She was related to Leatherface. She was his sister. Oh no, that was another one. Yeah, that was another one. Yeah. There's so many was- in the franchise. We talk about what was it? We were talking about Halloween never has any continuity as far as. All yeah. together. Well, this one's just foobar too, because there is no continuity with any of them all wrapped no. up together. You got different people doing different narratives and stuff. But this one was definitely, I, I just, it was just, just weird. I was expecting Greta Thunberg to walk out at any moment. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. It's just like, I mean, it filmed well. I'll give it that. It the filmed script, well. It did. But let down well. by a bad script, really. Yeah, I just thought it was, I think that they knew they were being over the top. Do you think that they meant to be over the top like that? I think Is that intentional? I think you can get over the top, but at some point you got to be rooting for someone and you don't root for any of them. You don't care about any of them. That's the problem. I was rooting for Leatherface and Alice Krieg. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I felt bad. As soon as they get there, they basically kill an old woman by giving her a heart attack that took care of little boys for years and years because they say it's her home. And they didn't even buy the place. They didn't have any of the deeds. And that guy was just a real asshole. So, yeah. you know, then the redneck takes their keys. They can't leave. Oh, you know. Yeah. And then the, um, yeah. And he got, and the Dixie flag thing. And I mean, I, Confederate I, flag. why do we have to throw all that shit in there? Can't we just have a horror movie? And, and why didn't they, you know, I'm surprised they didn't tear down the statue in the middle of the park. I know, I, I saw that. the I statue. I saw I the Confederate statue and I go, oh my God, they're going to tear down the Confederate statue. Here we go. But they didn't do <laughs> yeah. it. But you notice how they kept showing it? <laughs> yeah, over and over. <laughs> they kept showing it. It's like, ah, oh, damn. We're not even going to have a good history lesson. But you just can't top the first two. You can't. No. There's no way. And you're right, Dennis Hopper, that was a disturbing version. I might have to find that again and watch it. Yeah, just, watch, the un- watch the unrated version. That's even worse. Yeah, if you can find it. I can't even find it on um, on physical, you know. It's on, it's on Amazon. Is it? I'm going to have to find it. Yeah. I I'm have getting like Joe. Cover. I'm starting to realize that I probably need to buy these things because they're all going to disappear on me if, unless this crazy new, you know, cancel culture goes away. So, yeah. It's true. So pretty soon they uh, they're gonna cancel me and you. No, well, <laughs> let them try. There's a lot more people who think like me than a lot more people who think like them. Let's put it that way. Yeah, it's true. 
So Y'all over think, your uh, storm over there? Yeah, it's it's cold and a bit it's a bit rainy and chilly. Now, I was watching. I was. I think Craig sent me video of police and people just being blown all over the street. Did he send that video to you? I was laughing. I go, oh my god! I didn't know it got that windy in the UK. Oh, it's pretty bad, actually. Someone got beheaded by a stop sign because the, you got to the, be kidding me! Oh my god, really? No, because the, the wind caught the tore the sign off the post, and then it went. Psh- Cut someone's head off. Well, the, I mean, the wind, the wind, and got got up to 120 miles per hour. That's almost her. That is hurricane force at 70. What yeah. the hell? Did you guys inherit one of our nor'easters? Kind of just drift across the pond, or what? I think I think we got the storm that New York got. Um, oh, a couple of days earlier. So. Yeah, it looks like. But we survived. Oh, well. Yeah, well, it's sturdy stock over there. So I guess this brings us to our feature. For our first Make Remake episode, we'll be covering Imitation of Life from 1936, 34, and Imitation of Life from 1959. A little bit of background first, though, is that Imitation of Life started out as a popular novel in 1933, um, mm. which was written by Fanny Hearst, and it was added into two successful films by Universal Pictures. Um, the book actually de- deals with issues of race, class, and gender, and was originally serialized in 1932 in the magazine Pictorial Review under the title Sugar House. Now, the first film, Imitation of Life, is 1934, is an American drama film directed by John M. Stahl, the screenplay the screenplay by William Hobart, based on Fanny Wright's 1933 novel, and was augmented by eight un- additional uncredited writers, including um, Preston Sturges and Finley Peter Dunn. The film stars Claudette Colbert, Louise Beavers, Warren Williams, Rochelle Hudson, and Freddie Washington. The film was originally released by Universal Pictures on November 26, 1934, and was re-released in 1936. Um, in 2005, Imitation of Life was registered for preservation in the United States National Film Registry and being deemed culturally, historically, and aesthetically significant. It was also named by the Times in 2007 as one of the 25 most important films on race. It was nominated for Best Picture, Best Assistant Director, and Best Sounding Recording at the 7th and Academy Awards. You're back. Yes, Mother. And I want to tell you how sorry I am for what I did to you. Oh, that's all right. Come. Come, baby, and sit down. You don't feel like you're really here standing so far off. Mother, I've done everything you wanted me to. I went to that school and tried to be happy there to please you. But I just couldn't bear it. I couldn't. I had to get away. I understand, baby. We're going to forget all about it now. It's all right. But it isn't all right, Mother. I want to talk to you. I'll go upstairs, Delilah. No, Miss B. You stay, please. I want you to hear, too. What's my little baby got on her mind? I want to go away. Go away? Go away, Viola. I mean... By that, I mean... I want to go away, and you mustn't see me, or own me, or claim me, or anything. I mean, even if you pass me on the street, you'll have to pass me by. 
Oh, no, Paola. Oh, I know it's terrible and me must be. But you don't know what it is to look white and be black. You don't know. I can't go on this way any longer. I can't give up my baby. I bore you. I nursed you. I love you. I love you more than you can guess. You can't ask your mammy to do this. You've got to promise me, Mother. I'm your mammy, child. I ain't no white mother. It's too much to ask of me. I ain't got the spiritual strength to beat it. I can't hang on no cross. I ain't got the strength. You can't ask me to unborn my own child. I'm sorry, Mother. I know it's asking a lot. But I've got to live my own life. Bye. How can you hurt your mother so? How can you make her suffer this way? I'm sorry, Miss B. But I can't help it. <laughs> so, Vix, what's your view on 1934 Imitation of Life film? I've never seen this before and I thought it was excellent. I mean, not only was it old and it was pretty to look at, you know, the the black and white silver screen, whatever, but it really was culturally, historically and aesthetically significant. I thought it was ahead of its time because, I mean, that this is something that you would probably seen coming later on before. Well, this is all pre-civil rights era, so... It is what it is. And I, I just thought it was kind of a heartbreaking film. I really was like falling towards the end of it because it was so sad. You really felt for these women. And and even now women get together because sometimes women need other women to survive. They just do. These two, one was white, one was black. They realized they needed each other to survive in the world and to help each other. And you had the, you know, the one daughter. I mean, the mother really did look like somebody's mammy. I mean, for real. And uh, the daughter looked just as white as anybody like, you know, regular, you know, white Caucasian person. So but Mm. even now, when you think about it, you have seen I have also known people. This is going to get me in trouble, probably that sometimes when they are lighter colored, they're not really wanted by either, you know, back then, back from their own, you know, the their their people. I hate to say it that way. Or, you know, Caucasian people, because it was 10. Well, it was really bad back then. We all know that. But, uh, you know, it really it really looked at something. And I think with all kinds of uh, sincerity at a problem that, you know, pre-civil rights America was dealing with or what these people were dealing with. And you really felt sorry or you really felt something for the characters. And we always talk about that. Are you vested in the characters? Do they make you feel anything? And if you've got to feel something for this. It's just, mm. it's just good acting. It's good script writing. It's, it's just a great movie, you know. And like I said, it's sad. It is really sad. And you can, you can see the kernel of truth that runs right through it. You know, when you're talking, we're making when we beat the shit out of stuff and we're kidding around about stuff. You know, woke this. This is actually a, a human struggle. You know, it, it, mm. it has validity. This is what it's all about you know, and what, what people really did have to endure, you know, pre-civil rights. I also have to sit there and say that what I quite liked about this film is that 
she's treated as an equal as well. So she comes in, she helps out with the house and stuff like this. And um, Claudette Colbert's character, um, or B, B. basically yeah. has a molasses, uh, not molasses, uh, maple, maple syrup, syrup company. Maple syrup company. And, you know, the black woman, Delia, um, basically has um, a, a great um, pancake recipe. Yeah. So instead of um, her stealing the recipe from her, she, she, they open a restaurant together and she makes her uh, equal partner. And the woman, the, the woman uh, is not very educated. So, you know, she doesn't know much about money, but, but she, she's like, got a worry. huge, warm heart. She's a beautiful person. <laughs> she really is. But, um, but um, B doesn't take advantage of her whatsoever and gives her 50, 50% of the company, which she should, and then puts it, everything into a bank account for her. So, yeah. And then you find out it's like, you know, it's a multi-million dollar company. And then you think to yourself that this woman's got all this money in the bank and she doesn't care about it. But all that money's there, which will, you know, pays for a few, will pay for a funeral later on. Yeah. But she's treated as an equal. She's not treated as a servant in this one. And I thought well, that she's was she's a best friend, a business partner, a confidant, you know, another mother, you know, mm-hmm. to these two girls who are totally two and- different entities too. And another thing is with the little girl in this one, and we'll go more in, when we hit the 1959, we'll discuss how that's done. But the little girl doesn't really deal with the whole passing thing until she becomes like a teenager. And then that's all of a sudden when she becomes more aware that she needs, you know, she needs to start passing. She's ashamed of her African-American heritage. and, and Ashamed of her wa- mother. Yeah. And the thing is, you were kind of watching it. And um, I was discussing this with girls at work and i i deal with um i have three black secretaries that work with me um one's from nigeria one's from her family's from the caribbean and um the other one was born here and she's second generation um right from saint lucia and they were talking about passing she goes it still happens today people pass all the time today and I go, what do you think this about that? This is the that? first time I've heard that term. What is that term, actually? Are they trying to pass as white? So passing yeah, pass- that then, they were trying to pass as white. Yeah, or passing um, passing would be like if you're, let's sit there and say that you're dark skin. Let's say that you're darker, you're a white dark skin person and you're trying to pass as Latino. Right. Or Carmel Car- Harris. Or who's that woman? Who's that? Who's that? Who's that politician? Pocahontas. That, um, yeah, the, <laughs> it's got one point one and ten thousand twenty fourth. <laughs> yeah, she tells everyone she's Native American. Yeah, yeah. So she could go I mean, to lot, college. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if you think about it, a lot of Americans think that they have Native American blood in them. It's like, what was Native American women just whores? Were they just sleeping with everyone? It's like, how could all these people have Native American blood in them? It's like, oh, and they all, I got some Native American blood in me. He's like, do you? It's like either an Indian person, a Native American slept with a white woman, which would not have gone over well, or vice versa, which would not have gone over well. Right. Like, she been a social outcast. It's, you know, back in the day. So, yeah, I doubt that all these people running around saying they have Native American blood in them is a bunch of bullocks. <laughs> <laughs> so so right now we've probably got about 80 percent of the american population passing as having native american blood in them right <laughs> only 20 yeah. percent of it's probably true but um yeah so passing is basically um there but but you know if you think of the ramifications of passing if you decide that 
you know, I can understand why someone would do it, especially in this time. Well, because to get along, she would have had more opportunity passing as a Caucasian as opposed to a black person. Well, she'd have education, um, job opportunities, um, better. Well, her mother did say what did get rich and did try to send her to a, a Negro college back then. You know, but I guess that probably I, I don't know much about that. I, I will admit, but I mean, she tried to. But would she be accepted by her own in that college? Well, we don't really know about the acceptance or how she gets on with them because there's no other there's no other yeah. African-Americans in the movie. So we don't know how that goes. But we know that. But the question is, if she went to a African-American college, would she what kind of job would she have outside of that? She wouldn't be working in a, on Wall Street if she wanted to be an investment right. banker. She wouldn't be able to work in a, as a doctor, maybe, but only in a poor black area, probably. Right. You know, so, but another thing you have to look at it from her point of view is that if, you are, if you are passing, you have to let go of your whole family. And it's not like, I mean, I can understand the benefits of it, but there are some huge disadvantages. Like, oh God, I could your- never give up my family because of a race situation. But, you know, what, but um, when she was a little girl, if you remember going back a little bit, her mother was so worried about her not having her coat and her rubber boots because it was really mm-hmm. raining bad. And no one really understood. Even Claudette Colbert in the beginning said that you didn't understand that this was her daughter because she was so light skinned. Mm-hmm. And so the whole class knew at that time what was going on. And chances are they wouldn't have allowed her in that school, would they, if they knew she was passing as a white person? Well, the problem basically is we find out that once it's revealed that I think the daughter at some point says there, you know, she she has to change schools for the simple fact that the kids are making fun of her. Yeah, and they're going to be cruel. She, and they uh, and they and each each they the two girls cut themselves to see if their blood's the same. Yeah, that's right. Afterwards. I forgot about that. Yeah, that isn't so, you know because that's because back then you know I just don't think in those terms. I guess because I'm more modern. I guess had I grown up then, I do talk to people that you know back in the day they all had a different culture and a different mentality set a mindset for back then i think we've mm. gotten over that or at least i'd hope we have in real life real time mm. but well another thing if you pass and you do get married and could the you gotta be, I mean, be black i mean is that going to be a problem well that's the thing about genetics genetics have a way of we might, we might skip your generation but it'll come out eventually yeah, yeah, like Connecticut. You know, yeah, it happened to Dinah, what happened to Dinah Shore, didn't it? I vaguely remember that story. What happened there? Was her mother? No, her great grandmother was was a woman of color. Was a woman of color, and basically, um, she didn't know. Um, it was kind of like hidden. Um, so basically, here's Dinah Shore, blonde hair, blue eyed, as white as they can be, dating um, Burt Reynolds. She gets married and. No, no, she had a baby with someone else. It wasn't Burt Reynolds' child. She dated Burt Reynolds. No, but, it wasn't but she was his dating child. him. Yeah, but she was married. But she was married to a prominent producer, and they had a baby. And the baby came out looking African American. Gosh, I don't and remember it, that. I remember the, her, the controversy, but I don't remember a baby. I'm going to have to go back and look that up. It happened. It happened like in the early '60s. Um, she almost lost her job. She almost lost her career. She lost her husband because her husband thought she was having an affair. And it's only after like five or six years of her figuring out what the, you know, 
figured out her lineage that it all came out that she figured found out about it. Well, Queen Sophia it, was 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 a black woman, wasn't she? You know, basically, yeah. no one talks about yeah. her. I'm sure they clutched their pearls still in the royal family, but not anymore. I guess the royal families definitely did a complete about face when it comes to all that, though. Yeah, I mean, you know, we're living in a different time back then, but you know, but I mean, if you are passing, that's another thing. You're you're spending your whole life looking behind your shoulders because you don't need you don't want anyone to find out. Yeah. So and imagine back in the 30s, that was probably 10 times worse because you still had idiots that were trying to lynch people and, and hurt them. I say I, I say this is probably a problem up until like 1968. Yeah. Pro-pre-civil pre, liberties. Definitely. Black, black people couldn't vote until 1967. Yeah. Aren't we? That's so primitive. Just to even think, you know, you know what I, I see black. I see like the older black people here in Texas. And I always try to make extra sure I'm really like really polite to them because one, they've got a story. I like listening. You know, I do listen. And two, you know, those poor people had to use another bubbler or another bathroom. And, you know, I mean, I've actually seen where it gone into the old buildings and I was working for a municipality and they were going to redo it. And it did say black and white. And I, it was like that all these years that had been untouched and I've just never actually seen it. And it really is kind of wow, you know. Well, yeah. Well, see, you and I, we come from the north, and we didn't, we didn't have all that in the north. The north was totally different. Yeah. You know, I mean, we didn't have segregation. We didn't have, we didn't have any of that where we grew up. Um, my the house that I grew up in was has a cave underneath, and that was used for the underground railroad where they yep. would smuggle old slaves into Canada for freedom. Yeah, there's, so, that's a, there's the, a church on Morrison Street in Watertown that's a landmark, not too far mm-hmm. from your sister's, where it was an underground railroad. Um, what's the name of that church? It's good. You know which one I'm talking about. It's right yeah. there. But that's been there. For, that finally got pre, pre uh, what do you call it? The historic registry. Finally. Yeah. And I mean, our house was, you know, the house where we lived in was used for that back in the 1800s. But it's like. You know, but the thing is, we lived in the north, so we didn't actually experience any of that kind of stuff because no. we don't have we don't really have that up north. You know, we wouldn't have so, known what to do with it. To tell you the truth, I mean, I never yeah. really noticed. Even that we had a small black population before Fort Drum got bigger, but you know, we didn't see color when we were kids. I know we didn't. Well, yeah, I mean, we just kind of just got on with it, you know, sort of thing. And you know, I just and I know that my mom. You know, one time my sister shouted something um, at one of the Johnson's kids and my mom took her right up there and basically she had to apologize. And my sister had to work for them for three weeks. You know, <laughs> Good mother. She's like, because she's like, you, you don't talk to people like that. You, you respect people. She goes, if they do something to you, then fine. Then you can do something back. But she goes, you know, you don't disrespect people based on anything. Because I don't care if it's religion or race or whatever it is. You just be polite to them. Right. And if, you know, if any, I remember if anyone said anything stupid in front of my mom, she'd be like, oh, your ignorance is showing. So yeah. she used to tell people, your ignorance is showing. You might want to shut up. <laughs> well, so. that's when we kind of respected what our parents used to say, you know, before we... Did all well, I mean, well, we didn't have the KKK or anything like that either, because if we had the KKK, unfortunately, they were around. Moth, 
They're around. They were, yeah, but the mafia would normally would take care of them. So <laughs> we were more, we were, well, we were more mafia in our area. I mean, my, yeah. I remember my my, you know, and there's more of the mafia and that kind of stuff going on under, you know, not not in the foreground. It wasn't like the wasn't like New York Godfather. Or no, like it that, wasn't like Vito. It was there. So, so if anything, like these kind of groups, these hatred groups came up. I mean, they kind of silenced them very quickly, and they, you know. The families, families of these groups would never be seen again. It's like, oh, what I know, we never saw over? them, did we? They did kind of disappear. Now that you think about it, it wasn't tolerated. All that asshole attitude. No, I, you I get some, that too. So. I remember getting some KKK information in our letterbox once, and my mom pulled it out of my hand. She goes, "Give me that." She made a phone call. And we never got any information. We never got anything ever again. So I don't know who she phoned or what was going on. I mean, I was really young. So, so there was just even what, up there. I mean, they're around, but we just didn't well, see them. You got idiots everywhere, sort of. Yeah. Thing. Just now, used to do with it. Now, the, the interesting thing about this is that um, Universal borrowed um, Warren Williams from Warner Brothers for the male lead, but the studio at first wanted Paul Lucas for the part. Right. The parents of the child playing Jesse as a baby changed their name from Baby Jane to Juanita Quigley during the production of the film, and Claudette Colbert was borrowed from Paramount. Now, this is what's, what's quite interesting about this film. Universal had a difficulty receiving approval from the censors at the Hayes office for the original script they submitted for Imitation of Life. Joseph Breen objected to the elements of passing in the story, which not only violates the production code, but is very dangerous from the standpoint both of industry and public policy. He rejected the policy, the project, writing Hearst novel dealing with a partly colored girl who wants to pass as white violates the clause covering um, passing in spirit, if not in fact. The production code of administration censors had difficulty in negotiating how boundaries of racial difference should be cinematically constructed to be seen and believed on the screen. Which is kind of like, I mean, it's amazing that the film was made. I mean, if they're going like that, so that you can't even show this. I mean, you know, it's it's quite interesting. But I mean, at the end, of it, I mean, they kind of missed it around, and basically, they had to move some language out of the script. There was a screen. There was a scene where a young black man is nearly lynched for approaching a white woman, and that was exercised in the original script. And and then basically, they took out. Now, the, th- the book is a little bit different. In the book, she keeps passing. Her mom dies. She doesn't go back to right. the funeral. She, she marries a white guy, and they move to Bolivia, never to be heard from again. That's how the book ends. And Claudette Colbert, the mother, the white mother and daughter, the daughter falls in love with the guy. The guy gets a little bit too frisky with the daughter. The mother kills the, the boyfriend. They bury the body and they never discuss it again. And that's how the original book ends. <laughs> right. Makes so, more sense. You know, yeah, we don't get any of that here, sort of thing, unfortunately. But in um, the, but that they did say in the when you're talking about the themes, they said some of them were filmed to highlight fundamental unfairness of uh, the Delilah's social position. While and this was a good example because I noticed this and I'm glad that I found notes on it. While living in B's fabulous New York City mansion, Delilah descends down the shadowy stairs to the basement where her rooms are. B, dressed in the height of fashion, floats up the stairs to her rooms, whose luxury was built from the success of Delilah's recipe. You mm-hmm. know, but she does. She's in the basement sleeping still. 
And she is floating upstairs with her beautiful finery. So what gives with that? Was that supposed to just show the differences? Because if they were partners, wouldn't she should have been upstairs as well instead of being in the basement? You think she'd have her own wing of the house? Yeah, easy. I mean, and she she didn't fit it, split it. She split it 20%. She gave her 20%, not 50-50. Yeah, I mean... There are some indifferences. I mean, I said there. I'm well, I mean, okay. Prob- with Claudette Colbert, was she a very was she awake as opposed to woke? Was she a nice person that didn't see color? Because why is why is well, I think is- I think I think there are some still social constructs there for the simple fact that I mean, I have to sit there and say, I don't want to go into the net the the, the the 1959 one's a lot worse yeah <laughs> one. i mean it does seem like there's more of an equality between the two women right um and but at the same time yes but i don't know how much of this artistic artistic license that basically showed that you know having her go up into the light and being finally dressed and having delilah go down to you know going down to the, a dark basement now the thing is, I doubt that Delilah's rooms are all dark and dingy sort of thing. No. Because, but I think that's more showing artistic, showing an artistic light on basically the the differences in society where they are sort of thing. I mean, but, you know, I don't, it said before, I mean, when you see Delilah's bedroom, I mean, it's nicely furnished and stuff like that when she's dying. So, yeah, you know what I mean? Putting, so, putting aside race for a second, though, it was really ahead of its time as well because you have two women black and white are entrepreneurial mm. spirit you know they're trying to you know they, they're they making money in a man's world still and they struggle mm. to do it i mean i think um there are some scenes where they that delilah seems to be a bit simple when it comes to business matters and stuff like that well yeah um, i mean god i wouldn't want to handle all that either but, you know, you got Claudette Colbert robbing Peter to pay Paul the whole first 20 minutes, you know, of the movie. She's kind of smart. Well, we'll do this and we'll just start paying it off in a month or two months, you know. So they were smart women when it came to that. I mean, mm. one of them had to have, you know, one of them had to, you know, have the recipe. One of them had to have the, the business smart. So I kind of got that. Yeah. And I think, you know, and she's not and she I don't she's not a maid in the house. She's not, you know. She yeah, likes to not, take care of the family in the house. That just makes she, her feel. She takes equal. care of them, but she's she's not the maid. You know what I mean? No, you know, they do she, have yeah. other people. Yeah. And then after um, 10 years, they're both wealthy and they share that mansion. That's why I don't understand why she kept descending into the abyss. But, well, you know. I think, to be honest, I mean, the thing is, we don't see where Delilah's um, living quarters are. I mean, we, for all we know, there could have been a living room and she could just have like, like a basement apartment that was fully fur- lavishly furnished, oh, for right. all we know, you know, cause we don't really, you know, and no, I mean, we don't really see Claudette Colbert's house except for the living room. Really? Yeah. True. You know, they did get um, nominated so, for three Academy awards, you know, it's kind of sad that it didn't get one though. Well, I mean, the controversy probably didn't help matters much. Do you think that people just didn't want to pay attention to something like that? Just keep sweeping it under the rug back then and not have a movie. Well, I mean, it was obviously a good enough movie to be nominated. Well, I have to sit there and say that of 
all the um, black women that I work with, this uh, Imitation of Life, they love it. They said it's one of their favorite movies. It's very, um, it's very heartfelt. It is. But, you know, the one, the person who really is the star of the show and they kind of is the, the rebellious daughter that, that is light skinned, who is black, but she doesn't look it. And well, you know, she was played by Freddie Washington, which is quite interesting because she says that after this movie came out, reportedly received a great deal of mail from young blacks thanking her for having expressed their intimate concerns and contradictions so well. One may add that style of film was somewhat unique in its casting of a black actress in this kind of part, which was to become a Hollywood stereotype of sorts because they would type, they would actually cast Italians or someone else in this role, which we'll yeah. see in the, the next one. But they actually used a, um, a mixed race, cha- mixed race actress. She was a mixed race. I didn't know that. Yeah. So, but, um, yeah, I mean, the thing, I think this one, I think that Delilah is treated as equal as you can during the night, during this time period. Um, the thing is, I'm not quite sure. I mean, they're selling, see, another thing, and I think it all depends on where they're, where this takes place, because you're not really quite sure where it is, but we know that she's peddling maple syrup. So I'm right. guessing they're somewhere in the northern parts of America. I, I was it was kind of a screaming New Jersey, New York to me for some reason. I don't know why. Mm. It could have been somewhere else. I wonder if I can like Google that really quick. What city? Because that, you know, it's gonna drive me nuts there, now. Um oh the Jersey Shore in Pleasantville. Oh, okay, okay, yeah. I was it kind of screamed Jersey to me a little bit. Mm. Oh, yeah, that's because they were on the jury. They were at Coney Island. No, is that the second movie I'm getting it mixed up with? No, it's, uh, I think it's, no, that's the second movie sort of thing. So, you know, they are, in the, they are in the north, so there would have been a bit more equality than normal anyway. I mean, I have right. to there and say that we didn't see any kind of prejudice going on towards Delilah from any people that's coming into the household. There wasn't, um, you know, her business partner and everyone like that treated Delilah as an equal. So we do have that going on in the movie. Um, she wasn't expected to get people's drinks and stuff when people arrived at the house. So that wasn't going on in this version. So I would say Delilah for, for the time period was as much of an equal as she could be at this right. time in, right. in the history. But what a beautiful human being she portrayed her as, though. I mean, it was really I think I was talking to one of my friends the other day. Go, We've always had issues about children, you know, with the exes, like hiding them or taking them away. And the one scene that just really gets to you as a mother is how she's watching her through the window. Yeah. You know, and she knows she's kind of untouchable. That's just heartbreaking, <laughs> you know, and then she dies and then she realizes what a little bit she was to her mother. And she throws herself on the casket and the hearse, you know, say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. It's just like you're a day late and a dollar short, lady. You know, she was such a beautiful person. She loved her. You know, she loved. I feel bad for her because that's her whole her whole joy in life was a daughter who resented her. You know, I don't think she resented her. I just think that she she didn't want the life that her mom had. And she did. I think it was more of that, actually. I don't think it was resentment of her mom, because the thing is, she would say that and then she feel really bad. So she she felt bad. But but she didn't just she look be- irritated with her mother when she kept trying to hold her? 
You know, it was sort of like that cartoon. And I will call him George and I will hug him and kiss him and squeeze it. But she always seemed like, she, you know, unless that one last hug she gave her, she just didn't want to deal with it. Yeah, but I think for, to me, I fed that to the simple fact that it's not that she didn't want to deal with it. It's just that if she goes down this route and does what her mom says, she's not going to have her, her life's going to be just like her mom's. Her mom lucked out because she came up with a decent, uh, you know, she met a, a, a decent woman who was willing, you know, and they decided to do business together. But what, I mean, what's she going to do? Yeah. What's her, what's her hope going to be? What being a housekeeper, yeah. being a maid. Yeah, but working in a shop, they, but, working, but they had their money. They had money. They she would have been taking care of the rest of her life. She wouldn't have had to go out there and prove herself, really. Well, she she would have to marry a, you know, a black man. Well, yeah. And, Unless there um, is a white man out there that isn't, you know, really concerned about that stuff. But this is the thirties. Well, I mean, yeah, she she could meet a European, which would have been a bit a lot different. Yes, but I mean, yeah. but you also have to remember that when she runs away. She she can only get a um, Piola can only get a job in a segregated restaurant. She can only serve white people. That's the job. That's that's the job that she got. And so I thought it was quite interesting that when you saw the different jobs that she had, that she's making money and supporting herself. There were only jobs that white people could have. Right. So they did show those. So, you know. I mean. You know, at the end of this movie, you know, after she dies and she, you know, she has that regret. And the thing is, you do regret, you know, you, you act this way and you think of yourself. But then when someone's gone, you know, that they come, come back and it does kind of change your view of everything anyway. It Death does. does. It kind of sobers you up a little bit to what the initial. I mean, I felt so bad for the mom because she all she did was just love her kid, you know, and her mm-hmm. daughter was so resentful of her mother for being black. And apparently the father struggled with it, too, because he was light skinned as well. He ran off on them because he didn't want to be seen with a black woman. Yeah. I mean, they, she does mention that. Yeah. She couldn't. He couldn't accept me for my darkness. So we never saw him again. That's what she says. Yeah, that's so sad. God, that's just brutal. I just can't imagine. I mean, after the funeral, um, um, Piola, I mean, th- there is retribution here. Piola decides she's going to return to college. Um, B asked Stephen to wait, promising to come to him after Jesse is over her infatuation. And at the end, B starts to tell Jesse about her instant demands for her and quack quack and the day they met Delilah. And so the good thing, I guess what we find out is that, it, which is quite clear in this, is that Piola is still going to be part of their family. You know, yeah. and Delilah was part of their family. And with Delilah's death, Delilah is treated with so much respect all the way through the movie. But even in death, she, there's this respect for her. Yeah, it's it, but it just—it's so sad though. <laughs> it was such a yeah, sad movie. Sad. It was, and I just thought it was so beautifully filmed too. There's just something mm-hmm. about that old black and white silver screen stuff that just kind of captivates you, I guess. So I think this brings us to the 1959 version of Imitation of Life, which is um, American drama filmed and directed by Douglas Sirk and was produced by Ross Hunter, who also did Madame X and all those kind of films of those th- in this time. Um, it was released by Universal International. It was Sirk's final Hollywood film and dealt with issues of race, color, and gender. Imitation of Life um, at, starred Lana Turner, John Gavin, and the cast also includes Sandra D, Dan O'Hillary, Susan Connor, 
Robert Alda and Juanita Moore. Connor and Moore received Academy Award nominations for their performance, and gospel music star Mahala Jackson appears as the church. I knew that was Mahala Jackson. Boy, that woman had a set of pipes on her. In 2015, the United States Library of Congress selected this version of Imitation of Life for preservation in the National Film Registry, finding it culturally, historically, and aesthetically significant. Um, the original 1934 version of Imitation of Life, as we said before, was added to the National Film Registry in 2005. So what we're going to do is cut to the trailer and be right back. had that. Yes, by telephone, by postcard, by magazine interviews. You've given me everything but yourself. I'm white. White. White! Starring Lana Turner as the great stage star Laura Merritt. The men in her life, John Gavin. Dan O'Hurley, Robert Alda. If the Dramatist Club wants to eat and sleep with you, you eat and sleep with them. It's disgusting. It pays off. Her daughter, Sandra Dean, Susan Conner, who was born to be hurt. I don't want to have to come through back doors or feel lower than other people or apologize for my mother's color. Don't say she can't help her color. But I can. Juanita Moore, hers was the shame and the pain. There, Jane Johnson. You put your clothes on and get out of this place. And the incomparable Mahalia Jackson. Trouble out of the world. I'm going to hold I'm not asking you not to go down there, Laura. I'm telling you. And what makes you think you have that right? Because I love you. Isn't that enough? No, Steve. I'm sorry. All the kids talking behind my back. Is it true? No. Are you black? No, I'm as white as you. You're right. I'm not. I'd like to hold you in my arms once more. Like you were still my baby. All right. Oh, Sarah Jane. Oh, my baby. Oh, An invitation. An invitation. Welcome back to the Literary License Podcast. We discussed Im- Imitation of Life from 1959. So what's your view on the 1959 one? It was a little different, wasn't it? I mean, they kind of, you know, they took out they took out the business and put Lana Turner in the role of uh, Mrs. Uh, what was her name? That's going to drive me nuts. Mrs. Pullman. They kept calling her Mrs. Pullman in the first one all the time. But yeah, uh, she's Lord Meredith being, in this one. Instead of being like the 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 pancake queens, she was the uh she became a uh not Hollywood, but she became a model Broadway. actress. Yeah. yeah, she became a theater actress and did very well at it. Apparently. And and but but I thought that um I thought that the uh the parts of uh uh, what what was she? What did they call her? What what was Juanita Moore? Annie? They called her Annie. Yeah, played by Juanita Moore in this. And I thought that they kind of took a more. I don't know. I thought that the other one. I thought the other one was better. 
by the way, but I, I kind of thought that I didn't, I don't know. I don't think the, the message kind of got out there that, I mean, the, the friendship was still tight, but there was, I don't know what it was about Lana. Uh, there, this one was a lot more racist. I'm sorry. That's what I, I guess that's what I'm trying to say. It was more racist. I mean, and then when you, you know, you got tab Hunter, was that tab Hunter that was smacking around? Um, uh, I'm pretty sure that was tab Hunter. Troy Donahue. Troy Donahue. Okay. I mean, I didn't even know that was Troy Donahue until I started going through the film. Class. It's like, oh my God, that is Troy Donahue. But um, what, who was it? Uh, not Sandra D, but uh, Sandra Coner. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. At age, she was at age 18. She was a little older than Sandra D as Susie was, but it, it, this was a little more aggressive, I guess. And it was a little more, I mean, okay, let's say it was almost 30 years later. So it is going to be a little more aggressive and a little more modern, you know, mm. but it was a little, it was more of a hostile movie than the other one was. I can't think. That's well, true. there, I mean, I have, pro- I have problems with this because first of all, because there's no business, Annie is now a housekeeper. For housekeeper. The yeah. She's it like totally lost that whole dynamic, that whole dynamic between the women were kind of gone because of that. And that is problematic a little bit. I mean, the thing is, I, I do love this movie. I mean, the thing is, I, oh, I was I more familiar with, I was more familiar with this than I was with the um, black and white one. Um, but I, I bought the DVD uh, about eight years back and it has both of them on it. So that's when I first saw the black one. But I was, I've seen the, the color, the 1959 version over and over again. Right. But, and so I didn't really think much about it, but now watching the two of them, I watched them. One one day, the next the the second one the second day, and yeah, it's kind of and Lana Turner does treats her like a servant all the way through. Oh, Annie, can you um, yeah, can you serve the food and serve and serve my people for my dinner party? I'm having a party, Annie. Make sure you deal, you know, make sure you're there to serve everyone. Oh, and then Annie, she has her daughter take- to serve too, and that didn't go over well. Remember what she did? She well, did. yeah, and. And then how does Lana turn? I I accepted you as an equal. Da, da, da. It's like no, not really. I mean, no. Lana Turner's character is a lot harder in this as well. She's quite there's a hardness to her. I mean, she's not. There's just yeah, she just seems she's not exactly the friend. She doesn't come across as the most the most friendliest person to come across anyway. No, I mean, she's totally kind of standoffish in in regard to, you know, her and um, and uh, Claudette Colbert, totally different, totally different woman, you know? Yeah, it's it's not even the same woman we're talking about anymore. And then she gets hit with all the the, the lights of Broadway, you know, and then she really kind of more into herself than she is I don't know she kind of she misses her daughter growing up basically in her, her pursuit of you know chasing the 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 Tony Awards you know basically you know well I mean another thing is that she doesn't realize that basically where she, the reason why she got to where she is is because of Annie I mean Annie okay they meet them they meet she would the have beach. been nothing without Annie Annie was the one that was taking care of her daughter like a mother should while she was out going and you know while she was making the money I get that well well even before she was making the money because the next morning she's like you know she takes you know it's getting breakfast and everything sorted for them she sorts out 
she couldn't she um she didn't pay her grocery bill so she sorted out the grocery bill she um she also um she also sorted out the rent because they were going to be kicked out we find out right. that she's going to be evicted but annie sorts all that out Annie sorts all that annie's you know, she's do, supposed to be doing those envelopes to make extra money, but Annie. What was the deal with the well. envelopes? That totally lost me. What were they doing? Did you know? Yeah, you used to um, you used to get extra money if you um, they give you all the envelopes, and then basically there was a tight bunch of addresses, and you would have to handwrite the addresses and put and send them back to the company, and they would send them out like they like like personal. advertisements. It could be advertisement letters and or letters to their customers, but it's what you you know it's what you did back then. You you know I like, guess somebody would have to type it all or have they didn't really you know have you know printers back then for, like as per se we have like right next to my computer. So yeah, that would be a necessary thing to do. Well, I, guess. I remember at some point it's like I used to before that. It's like you could you could get jobs um, where people they would send you um, dictation. And the post yeah. would be like a tape, and you could type that up and make extra money if you had a medical company, transcriptionist. A they still do that. Medical transcriptionists do. Yeah, just so now you have a computer, so you don't have to do everything in carbon copies and all that stuff. Right. Remember carbon copies and have it to type in with the carbons and. Remember the purple? What was that stuff that used to run off the printer and it smelled funny and everybody it used to like smell a, it? A smell of alcohol. Yeah. What um, was that stuff? What was that called? It wasn't a printer, uh, like, but. Yeah. And you had to roll it. It was purple, though. That they yeah. was purple sometimes. Yeah, yeah. I remember and we're dinosaurs now, aren't we? <laughs> yeah. We're getting looking over the hill. <laughs> but the good thing about those days is that you could make extra money by doing shit like this. You know right. what I mean? But you know, and then Annie pretending that she was, you know, her maid. Um, is the reason why she was getting jobs and stuff like that, acting jobs and modeling jobs because Andy that's true. Because she gave her a little, what is it, a boost of social status? She has a maid. You yeah, know, whatever. she took that one phone call. I mean, everything she she really owed her all of her success to the Annie, that woman who helped raise her child while she was doing her thing. Mm. And. It's quite funny because, I mean, I've seen this movie multiple times and I didn't notice it until I saw it. So I saw it against the, the black and white version, the 1934 version. And it's funny thing because Isaac watched both versions. because I watched them last weekend. Right. And Isaac said the second one, she goes, God, it's just a, it's a white, it's just a white film with a couple of black people in it. I kind of agree. I kind of agree. It totally detracted. I don't know. It was more Hollywood. You know how they take a movie like, let's say, The Grudge from from Japan, and then they Hollywood it up a little bit. And then it loses something in that westernization of that film. So it's almost like they westernized this film from the 1934 version. And it, it lost quite a bit of the message as far as I was concerned. I did like the um, the, the daughter, Sarah Jane. Right. I think that her um, her identity about passing and being ashamed of her is a lot earlier. It happens at the very beginning. It's like, oh, like here's Sarah Jane. You can play with this doll. I, 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 oh, uh, she didn't want the black dolly. That's right. She wanted the black. Then, then of course they go back. They go to the back room behind the kitchen, and she drops the black dolly. And then, and that's and the passing or her dissatisfaction dissatisfaction over her own ethnicity is more prominent in this one as far as how Sarah Jane looks at it. Yeah. 
Yeah. Because every time you see Sarah, every time you see Sarah Jane, it's that over and over and over. Oh, give me a kiss too. Give me a kiss. You could be my mommy too. And there's a lot. It's it's very over egged in this one. Very. Yeah. But then again, you know, then but and I also saw if we also got, you know, we also learn what happens when you get caught passing. You know, when that her boyfriend starts beating her up in the alleyway. Yeah, something I didn't expect out of Trey Donahue because he was like, you know, the boy next door and you just don't expect him to be some racist pig of a man that's beating up this girl. And she she was right. She goes, I am as white as you, you know, and he still, you know, knocks her around. But, you know, she, no. she you know, and then she ends up not in a restaurant after she takes off. She ends up in a, I don't know, it's not a strip bar, but it's a bar of, you know, back then, moral... Burlesque, I guess. Was it yeah, burlesque? Maybe more, a little morally, you know, uh, thrifty, not thrifty is the word. I mean, it was probably morally mm-hmm. casual. And, you know, it's probably where good girls probably didn't work back then. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm also kind of wondering, I mean, it was interesting to see Sandra Gould in this. Yeah. Abner, Abner. Yeah, I mean, I I, I, I did a double take on that. I go, oh my god, that that's uh, what's his face? Yeah, 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 from Gladys. Second, second Gladys number two. Yeah, um, she's pretty young in that, wasn't she? I I just never really looked at her as a younger woman. I just always looked at her as Gladys. Talk about pigeonholed into a character. (laughs) You don't see her as the actress. Oh, it's Gladys. Now, I also kind of wondering is that maybe that the reason why they kept her as a housekeeper might also help explain Sarah Jane's detestation about the whole thing, like sleeping in the back room and making and bringing the help. Because this movie, the passing was a lot more in the forefront and the movie ends about the passing. It doesn't have that. Right. It's but not the about thing is they don't. But that dynamic is gone that makes them equal in, in, in partnership of a business. So she does, she is nothing more than a, a maid, a nanny, you which know, would, a friend. Uh, which would, but would explain why Sarah Jane is so opposed to being like her mother. Yeah, because she doesn't want to be waiting on the white people. I don't blame she her. Does, she doesn't want to be in the back rooms, in the back I don't blame room, her. Uh, I don't, I don't yeah. blame the, the if she, if she's going to go, if she can go to the, you know, if her, if, you know, if, she, if there's a party, she wants to be at the party. She doesn't be serving at the party. Yeah. And then, you know, and then she hands her that tray and she gets all, you know, Southern, Southern, you know, slave, simple language on her and starts calling her mm. mess or something like that. Mm. <laughs> you gotta admit she had it coming, you know, yeah. take the tray, you know, she was, she was, I, I think that Lana Turner's character lost sight of what a treasure this woman was to her at that well, point. She, she knows, she knows nothing. She knows nothing of her. She knows nothing about her life. I mean, she's sitting There's there. There's no backstory uh, really. Well, there, we find we've, I mean, let's just take, um, let's take her death scene. You know, Annie's dying. Right. And, you know, as she's dying, she goes, Oh, give my, give my mink stole to the minister's wife. Cause she always loves it. And she's like, yeah. Oh, you go to church. Oh, you do this? You do that? What? Yeah, she I didn't, didn't know, even I didn't, get to know she, her. She had no idea what she was doing. She had all kinds of charities. Yeah, she was. In, she had all kinds of activities and social life and people, you know, that she was hanging out with and friends. And Lana Turner's character knew nothing of all and of any of it. 
So it just tells you what the hell's going on in that household. Well, then you got so, Sandra D. Let's not forget Sandra D. So Sandra D. I think Sandra D.'s relationship to Annie is totally different. Sandra D. Annie is like her second mother. Yeah, she is basically it's, her mother. She even tells yeah. her mother, "What do you know about me? You're always gone." You know, precisely. She goes, you know, she goes, you know, Annie's always there for me. Where, where have you been? Yeah, and then she falls so, in love with Steve, who's supposed to marry her mother. Well, I can understand this. I mean, I had to sit there and say I can understand the Steve actuation because he took John Gavin was a good looking guy. So. Yeah, and he took her everywhere. Yeah, and you know the thing is, you know Sandra D's being shoved into some kind of girls' school every all the time, so she's never home. Then you know, then she sees Steve, and Steve's a good-looking guy, and doesn't know any. And you know, there's no communication going on between you know Susie and Laura, or mother and daughter here, because she doesn't know that her mother's dating Steve. No one's told her anything. Yeah. So she thinks that Steve's taking her to all these nice places because he's interested in her, not because he's dating her mom. He did, she doesn't know anything about that. She only finds out later. How old like, is she oh, supposed one, to be? 16. So she's 16. a young, impressionable girl. Uh, I have to sit there and say, though, this one plays better than the other relationship. When you get the, the daughter falling in love with that guy, and the guy's like, That's, this guy's old enough to be a grandfather. You're like, you got daddy issues. Yeah. At least in this one, it's like falling in love with John Gavin. It's like, you don't have daddy issues. He's good looking. It's like, I understand this. The other yes. one's like, yeah. what the hell? <laughs> what are you going to him for? He looks, he looks like a ferret. <laughs> what do you call old man ferret? Yeah, I didn't get that either. <laughs> But yeah. they had the other, the, the, the little, you know, the younger black woman falling in love with that character in the other one. But this one kind of made more sense. But, you know, he, he was kind of leading her on a little bit. I don't understand, you know, how they were directing John Gavin in these scenes. But I could see where the 16-year-old, you know, adoring girl would look at him and, and not understand completely. Because he was treating her like an adult, you know. Yeah. I mean, John Gavin at this point was having had a very good three years. He did this and did Psycho after this. That's right. And then he did something else after this, which is oh Spartacus the year after that. Oh yeah. So he did like so he did like three really big, huge fant- blockbusting films, one after another. Yeah. So, but yeah, I mean, you know, so I don't know if the, the reason why there's more of a disconnect between Annie and Laura. I don't know if that's that. The, the, and that's what they're saying. The passing in this is brought more to the foreground than in the original. The original is mentioned as part of the story, but all of them have a story. This one, the passing seems to be the for, forefront, and um, Lana Turner's career going taking off. That's it. That's just two stories in here. The other stories the, are just the, coming at the back. Well, they did have the big funeral scene with all the bells and whistles again, but you know, in real life. The funeral scene hit real close to home for Lana Turner. I'm not sure about if that was about her real daughter in real life or whatever. She had a crazy life, too. And I guess as Mahalia Jackson started singing, she lost control and fled to her trailer in tears. When no arguments could convince her to return to the church and shoot the scene, her makeup woman slapped her in the face, breaking her out of her hysterics. And then she returned to the set and completed the scene perfectly. Did not know that. Well, um, this this was not too long after that her daughter she got in killed, trouble. Well, no, well, she Lana Turner shot yeah. the guy, 
But she took, no, her, she didn't. Her daughter did. She took the blame for her daughter, I thought. No, it was the other way around. Was it she the shot oh, was it? And she had her daughter take the blame. Maybe that's what because, it was. Who knows? Because she, because otherwise it ruined her career. Yeah, Lana Turner, boy, she was up there though. She was she was just beautiful. She really was, even getting older. And you know, Juanita Moore plays Annie. They, they build her with the credit and presenting Juanita Moore as Annie Johnson, even though she'd already been in many films. Is that because she changed her name? Is that what you were saying? No, that was in the other one. That the um... okay. Well, they presented her as one as Annie. I guess that she'd been in other films. I, I know I've seen her before. I'd probably have to research it to find the films because I like old films. So, but it was kind of you know interesting in that. And then there was there was a goof when Steve and Susie go riding together. Their horses jump a low stone wall, which one of the horses knocks, revealing the whole thing to be a lightweight single piece prop. But you know, there's always a stickler. For details, so yeah, <laughs> details, <laughs> where's, details. <laughs> where's Tom when you need him? Um, yeah, I know. Where's Tom? <laughs> I mean, um, this was up for a lot more awards than the original. I mean, um, it did. It did win. Um, Connor did win a Golden Globe for a performance, um, sort of thing, and Moore did win a 1959 Laurel Award. The film won right. top drama. So, I mean, I thought it was interesting because I would have thought that if you, if I asked someone who's never seen this, which one do you think would be the most the most forward thinking? I would have thought to be the 1959 one. I, I found it hard to believe it's the 1934 one. Exactly. But like I said, the dynamic for making it equal or what's the word everybody uses now? Equity. It would, what would have made it more like that is if that they had gone in and, you know, and done the Aunt Jemima thing, you know, mm. with it, because that was great because they, they aspired together. They worked together. They achieved financial success together. That is all lost in, in this translation. It's not here anymore. So she does become the typical, I hate to say it, I don't mean it this way, the typical, you know, um, black servant to this woman. And that's not what the, the, that's why the daughter was railing against life for so much. She did not want that. And I can't blame it's, her. It's Alice from the Brady Bunch, isn't it? It's like, oh, you're a member of the family, but you're going to live but you're not. And, and serve on it. And you're going to serve us. But you're not, but you're not really an equal. That's a good, that's a good, that's a good way to look at it. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. You know, you're not equal. And I think Isaac pegged it right. He says it's a, it's a white movie with a couple couple of black people. He's right. It is. It's very white. It's so, it's very, I mean, not that I have a problem with it being white, but I mean, look at all the glam and glitter that it has with it. Like, you know, you do have John Gavin, you have Sandra D, you know, you got Robert, Robert Alda. You know, <clears throat> you got Lana. I mean, Lana Turner right there for crying out loud. You know, the blonde well, shell herself. It it seemed like the people who were visiting Laura had more respect for Annie than Laura had. Well, they all loved her, didn't they? Everybody loved Annie. Yeah, and you know, she. Yeah, it, it's it's an odd sort of thing. Well, God, um, Mahalia Jackson sang at her funeral. I mean, I wish Mahalia Jackson could sing at my funeral someday. That woman had such a beautiful gospel voice. You know, she just did. She was the queen bee. 
No one ever talks about her anymore. She was a beautiful singer. I just kind of wondering is like I get I don't I don't know how much money and um was was she getting money put away was um was she getting paid for being there or was she just house I mean we don't even know what her financial situation is. Is she, she totally definitely dependent? was treated better in nineteen thirty four as opposed to nineteen fifty something, fifty nine. I mean she had her own she seemed like she had her own money here. I'm just kinda wondering she is she just totally you know, her financial status and everything like that. Just okay, wait, on... as a result of what when D- Delilah's family waffle recipe, a pancake, whatever, she's offered 20% of the profits, but she declined and chose to remain B's dutiful assistant. Um, in the previous film, in this one, Paola, the character returns going to her mother's funeral and showing remorse. It's the only scene really that was the same was the end. Yeah, you know, where the daughter comes, she realizes that she's done her mother wrong all these years and that she probably should have appreciated her. You only get one mother, people. Although we might not be perfect, you can't blame us for everything, especially when you're adults. I just want to get that out there. <laughs> well, in this, but but this one, this one ends on the funeral as yeah. well. So basically, yeah. they're just in the back of the car and they're driving, you know, they're driving after procession. And that's the way the film ends. So, yeah. you know, the other I might one. I have to read the book. The book sounds really good. I haven't read it, so I might. It's just... it's available on uh, in Kindle, Kindle form as well. Yeah, um, yeah, it's available on Kindle as well. So, well, now that but, I've um, got my archive dot org, I can find all kinds of freebies. Yeah, but I have to also sit there and say that, um, you know, you don't in the uh, the nineteen thirty um, four version. I think we. You know, Paola goes back to college. We get that. We got a feeling that Paola is going to come home for her holidays. She's part of the family. Here, I don't know what the hell is going to happen to Sarah Jane. I mean, after the funeral, she just be out in the street. Well, what I mean, was it? Know? Who said this? I think what I found here, I think, is um, whoever wrote the thing for Wikipedia. Um, something about the racial class issues were admired for what he caught writing. What 1997, Rob Nelson said, basically, we're left to into it that the black characters and the movie are themselves products of 50s era racism, which explains the film's perspective, perspective but hardly makes it less dizzying. Hmm. I don't know what you know. It's the mixed. I don't know. I, it just it just didn't. It lost something in translation with this. I mean, it was still a good film. I don't hate it in any measure, but I did like the more the 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 more with Claudette Colbert and uh, what was her name? What was her the the actress's name? Who played her in Imitation of Life in 1934? Who was that actress? Claudette Colbert. Not Claudette Colbert. Um, Delilah. Louise Beavers. Yeah, Louise Beavers. Yeah, but that, but there was something more of a bond. There was something more cohesive. You know, in the end of this, in the 59 version, you see that I think maybe Lana Turner maybe didn't appreciate her so much through life and the friendship that she basically had because she seems really tore up when this woman dies. And basically, she doesn't really. I, I think she just dies of a broken heart. Is that really what you know? What you were like? Well, no. Be? She's she's feeling she's feeling ill for a while. Okay, she's that's like, right. Oh, I don't that's feel right. Very she well. was getting tired. Well. Yeah. And there's a lot of that going on. So I mean, the first one she dies from a broken heart. Okay. This one, I think, is I don't. We're not really quite sure what she's dying from, but it seems like being something that's long standing. 
right. I don't know if she's going, obviously she's not going to the doctor or whatever. She is, no one's telling us anything. But um, it's quite interesting that Cirque later said that he had deliberately and subversively undercut Turner to draw focus towards the problems of the two black characters. So saying that, there could have been a lot of scenes that are on the cutting room floor that might have evened things out, but he wanted to make this more about the passing, which I said before, the 1959 is more about the passing and about the black the black characters what's going on between those two. That's the, that's the dramatic sense that's going on in the movie is between those two. And then right. you got, and Lana's Turner, Lana Turner's character. There's not, that doesn't really hold the drama. That's just like, well, her glamor almost overshadows the concept of the movie too. You know, uh, for me, it just like, it was the most, that was the uninteresting part of the movie. I mean, it was interesting, but it's kind of like a star is born. We've seen so many of those. Star yeah. Rises, yeah. Yeah. That, all yeah. about Eve, all that sort of stuff. And this was kind of like her rising, but the, the emotional residence in the movie is between the Annie and Sarah Jane. That's the emotion part of the movie because if Lana Turner dies, you're like, oh, she died. But because Annie dies, you actually feel it. You know what I mean? And that's the whole right. dynamics of the movie. So it's, it's, it's interesting. And I'm kind of wondering if, because Lana Turner's a big star and she was known to be a force to be reckoned with, I guess. Yes. You put it there. So I'm kind of wondering is like, what was written and what was taped that was, uh, was cut out? To, to move these two characters you know, it's got to be out there somewhere that's probably something i'll do later is probably go look for the cutting room floor stuff because that would be interesting to find out what happened you know do you know that they had to cut stuff you knew that they did mm-hmm. so what was sacrificed you know yeah now interestingly enough um this film um is the basis was the inspiration and homage um for the todd haynes film far from home which starred um, Julia Moore that was up for a bunch of Oscars back in 2002 and um, it also was the inspiration for the 1969 Diana Ross and Supremes hit I'm Living in Shame and the 2001 REM song Imitation of Life which are both based on this film. I did not know that Didn't know that either Learn something so- new every day Yes. So I think what we'll do is let's discuss both films together. Which is um, which is your favorite version and why? I, I liked I like the 1934 version better. Not that I'm dissing 1959 at all, but I really liked the relationship of the women in that version. I liked that there was that equality between the two of them and that they were helping each other get through life and that both of them had equal return on it as in friendship. You know, she took they took care of each other. You yeah. know, they both had two daughters that were little pissers sometimes. I mean, let's face it. Kids are kids. Doesn't matter what color they are. And I just like the dynamic of, of the business together and cooking in front of the window on the, on the shore, you know, it, mm. it just put more into it. And it just made more sense to me other than the 1959 one, which was a star is born. You're right. Yeah. Kind of, sort of. For, for me, I love the relationship between the, the two women. And I think that was a lot stronger than 1934. I think the 1959 version for me i thought i love that the whole sarah jane dynamic of yes. her and I, your mom was a lot stronger in that one yeah and a lot more prominent it was a bit more it gave me it gave it a bit more understanding 
And I, but I liked the 1934 ending that there, that, you know, the daughter's going to go back to college. Yeah, the daughter still has a family. You really are left up in the air. I mean, she is with them, Mm -hmm. but you're right. I I just can't see them kicking her out. I'm assuming that Lana Turner kept her. Um, I'm assuming that basically she's not a part of that family. I don't know. Well, she she doesn't doesn't seem seem to want to be part of that family. She doesn't want to be treated like a servant. And she wants to... You know, I don't blame her. I would have left too. Well, I think, I think, um, Paola in the 1934, I think that, you know, and, and Claudette Colbert's version, I think that she goes to college, she becomes part of the family, she's going to be there on Christmases, which she ever gets married and has children. She, right. you know, they're, they're, there's, it's part of an extended family. The 1959 one, however, I just got a feeling that, you know, because Alana Turner is so all about her and how it looks on her and everything so surface for her, because we get a lot, you know, we get, it seems to be a lot about that. So, you know, when Lana Turner, you know, she's crying in the coffin and stuff like this. And I, you know, and it's very. She t- did get really yeah. upset. She started to do an Olivia Hussey. <laughs> well, I, I kind of wondered that she dragged her away because it's like, oh, come on, Sarah Jane, don't worry to come across there because you're embarrassing me. Or was it because she cared about what she felt? Because when they go back in the car, you know. Oh, yeah, that's right. You know, the, the three of them there, you know, all four of them in the car. I think it's because like, she was embarrassing her. She really, I mean, there was, there was a lot of people I there. Know. I don't know, though. It's like, maybe she was there because she cared about Sarah Jane, or maybe she's like, you're embarrassing me. Just get in the car, sort of thing. <laughs> Just get in the uh, car, so, yeah. You're making a scene. But, Everybody's watching. Get the car. <laughs> yeah. I mean, um, yeah, so you're not quite sure, but I have to sit there and say in the 1934 film, though, because at least Sarah Jane gets in the backseat with those, with the, uh, with Sandra D and John Gavin and Lana Turner. In the 1934, though, do you remember when she goes, she cries at the coffin and she goes back into the car? Do you realize that they're in the back of the car and she's at the, she's sitting in the front seat? Yeah. That was so, a nice so, touch. Yeah. So I thought to myself, it was like, is that because there's segregation between two, those two? But then we don't get that. Cert- but here we get that epilogue situation where we don't get an epilogue here. That movie just ends with them driving behind the professor. There's no closure the in movies do that. You know, I almost wish I knew, wish they would have wrote another book or whatever. What happened to her after that, you know, when her mother dies? What What was her life like, you know? Well, I... Yeah, the 1959 one. I mean, I think the 1934 film leaves it so you kind of have an idea what it's going to be like. I think right. here the big the big payoff is the funeral, isn't it? That's the big emotional. That's so basically like when the lights come up, you're sitting there crying your eyes out. And that's how they want you in the 59 one. Yeah, it was sad, though. Both endings were sad. You know, I, I appreciated both of them, but I just, I just liked the women, the the relationship, the bond yeah. they had starting that business together. I think it detracted, and that like, like in the night, I don't know why they did what they did, and then instead of you know making them business partners, why would they make her a servant in her house like that? I just, I think, I think it's to push the passing things. I think it's to push the Sarah Jane. This one, I mean, that's the second one. I'm thinking back, thinking at it now. I think in the 1959 version, I think it's to push the Sarah Jane storyline to the forefront. Because the 1934 film, 
it's part of the story, but it's not the whole story. It's just part of the story. You know what I mean? It's not as yeah. the 1934 film is a has it's about passing, but it's about a lot of other stuff as well. It's about two women being treated as serious business women. It's considered uh it's also there's a sexism that's going on a little bit in the 19th. You got a little bit of that. Well, it going addressed on. a whole lot of that. And you know what really kind of bothered me in the 1959 version is when was it was it John Gavin? Or who was it that was telling her she can't go and do whatever she wanted to do because yeah. he he says, I don't like it. So you're not going. And I would have, you know, you know me, nobody's the boss of me, but I was just wondering where does he get off on that? You know, you can't go. Do, I mean, there, so there was other things other than racism addressed in this. Yeah. But I, I do think that, but I do think the past night, I was, if I'm thinking of the two films, imitation of life, 1934 is about, Two women in the relationship, and 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 has some stuff about passing in it and other stuff. The nineteen fifty nine version, I just think it's a film about passing. That's yeah, how I think of the film. Right. Side and so I'm kind of, so I'm kind of wondering if um, maybe I mean, that's even the if reason. You look at the movie posters are totally telling, you know. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's <laughs> yeah, there's none of the black character even in the nineteen thirty four poster. <laughs> <laughs> you know, <laughs> they're in the 1959 poster, but they're kind of like in the bottom. Yeah, but right she's corner. way down here in the 1950. You know, I mean, the, yeah. it's it's so you know, and you know, you got to wonder why people are so pissed all the time. I get it, I do get it. Yeah, uh, but I, I do think that the 1959. I think they they I think that because they were pushing the passing storyline a lot harder. I, I never heard that re- term until this this movie. I've never even knew that term. Oh, you didn't. Uh, there's a there's a new Amazon TV series about um that deals with it as well now. A new drama series. But they really don't have to do that anymore, do they? Unless um in some cultures they do. In India, where they have the um the class system, the, no, class, the class system. system that's a, that goes without saying. I'm yeah, surprised so, that's still there. I really Yeah, that's still there. Um, it does happen in some African countries as well. Um, lighter skinned blacks are have um a, have a lot have a lot more easier than darker skins in African countries. You get it in um, China that if you if you know if you if you look at if you're a bit lighter and fairer that you you have a lot more opportunities. Oh, I definitely stay out of China being a minority because they're going to probably try to sell your orchids. <laughs> so it's time to stay out of yeah. China. But I mean, you got it in Japan. You got it in some Japanese cultures as well. You know, if you if you look a certain way, you're this. Or we have it. You know, we have it in our culture as well. I mean, we we have the class system here. I mean, you know, you get people pretending they're a different class. What's inventing Anna about? Yeah. You know, that's about someone who's, you know, out bored outside the class system and is poor and pretends he's part of the class system and passing for a higher, higher class than what she actually is. Right. And so, we don't, you know, so we got passing going on. It's just different in different ways. Yeah. So. Yeah, I guess that's true. I just never heard the term. I thought when I first, excuse my ignorance, I really didn't understand that term. I had to look it up. That's why I asked you as well what you thought it was. I thought when she went in in the first movie, she thought she was talking about passing. I thought she was talking about the school, you know, yeah. she was trying to pass herself off. But why did she allow her to pass herself off as a white person anyway in that particular school? Because there were no other colored children there. 
because the education is better. You know, let's put it this way: you have children, and you can send, you can either send them to the school. All they have, to, you know, and all they have to do is pretend that they're Protestant, but that's the best school. So you want to, yeah. you know, So you just send your kids there and just pretend you're Protestant. You might be Catholic, but if you're Protestant, you can go to this school because they're not going to let you in if you're Catholic. So just oh, don't God. say anything. Back in the day, I used to, you know, I didn't want to go to Catholic school. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't want to. And down here, people are tripping over themselves to put their children in Catholic school and get them out of the public school system. Well, the Catholic schools back home were poor and they were, had bad books and they were taught. They weren't very good. There wasn't a very great education because I know I went to IHC for a little while. I and I was shocked. Well, till the eighth grade, from kindergarten, eighth. And let me tell you, though, I was reading books in the eighth grade that they didn't even get to. I think they, they had they were starting them in 10th grade. So it's just like, well, I already read Tale of Two Cities in eighth grade. <laughs> so I don't know. Um, I mean, I didn't go to Watertown school, so I don't know what the regular education, but Sackett's Harbor, where I went to school, I was further advanced at IHC when I went to IHC than they were. And I was like, this is a bit weird for me. Yeah. But, but I don't, I don't know what I mean, but maybe it's because, you know, we don't spend an hour a day or every other day teaching religious studies. We're doing yeah. something else. <laughs> Maybe that's it. I, I don't tried know to black out that one year of IHC for my memory. I don't remember much about that year. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't like it at all. I just thought. I thought it was horrendous. I thought the it was awful. People, it was totally. I thought awful the people that went then. there were a bunch of idiots, and they thought they were better than everyone else. And there's a lot of bullying going on there as well. Lots all, of bullying. And I was quite shocked by that, actually. I mean, I didn't last long. I was only there for like two months. Well, I lasted a year and then went to Catholic. Or no, I went to Watertown High because I begged my mother, go, I'm going to quit school if I have to stay here. I can't do it. It was so Uh, alien to me. I just didn't like how things were going there. Things are different now, though. I mean, we don't have... Things are totally different. They didn't... We don't have the the abuse that was going on. There's abuse probably going on, but, you know, you didn't have a bunch of penguins hitting you over the head with dictionaries all the time either. Or yelling at well, you because your boobs came in sixth grade. <laughs> it's like, I mean, come I, on, I, people. I mean, I don't know what it's like now, but in the end of the day, I mean, I got kicked out for hitting a nun because she hit, I was just sitting there. She hit me in the back of the head with a Just one? And I just swung around and just, I just, well, I got hit, so I didn't know who fucking hit me. So I ran around and smashed her and then knocked her on her backside. And then the next thing I know, I got kicked out. So it's like. You know, I didn't like beat her up or anything like that. I just swung. Because I got hit and I just swung, you know. God, they used to lock us in closets and everything. It was just awful. Just awful. Yeah. They were awful really to girls. Old. I got sick of hearing about the abuse of the altar boys. No one ever said anything about what they did to us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, screw this. Yeah. Uh, it's was, it was an education. It was an experience uh, to say the least. It gives you war stories to tell your children later on. So. Yeah, well, you know, I always laugh because, you know, they say I walked in the snow. Well, I actually did walk in the snow to school, you know, <laughs> about too. a mile. We had, a, we had a snowmobile every once in a while as well. Oh, God, so. man. That's what it used to snow all the time, though. But back then, even in our school back in the 60s and the 70s, I mean, even if we did have other people of different races, and we didn't think nothing of it. I didn't care. 
I know the other students didn't care. And it just seems like it only cares. People only care when you start, when you start being told you need to care. And that's where all the bullshit starts. It's just, it's, it's all fine until somebody, you know, starts with their shitty narrative. Hmm. So um, I guess, um, do you got anything more you want to add about imitation? No, I, I really like, like I said, I like 34 better. I thought this, the, the uh, message was stronger. Like you said, 1950, whatever, whatever Isaac said, I totally agree. <laughs> yeah, I have to agree. To, didn't think of it that way. After he said it, it's like I couldn't get out it of it. It makes more sense that. after I thought of that because seriously, there, there really wasn't, well, Mahalia Jackson, she was there. She was a really mm. prominent too. I didn't, you know, she was just, God, because she could belt out the Christmas carols too. I always yeah. remembered her music growing up. She wanted, I think, didn't she win a Pulitzer or something as well? She I was, can't remember, but man, that woman was just, boy, she we, could We just studied sing. her in school. She was part of one of the people that we studied in school. So I guess that brings us to the end of our Imitation of Life, our first make-remake episode. Our next make-remake will be The Shining by Stanley Kubik and the TV miniseries, which was written by Stephen King. So we got two, two um, versions hey. of The Shining, one ba- both based on the Stephen King book, one very much like the Stephen King book, and the other one very little like the Stephen King hey, book. You got so me confused. We're not watching the sh- with Jack Nicholson. We're not doing that one. We're doing Jack Nicholson, Shining, and the TV miniseries. Rebecca well, DeMornay one. Both of them. Okay, Rebecca DeMornay. Well, no, because you because there's been another version, and yeah, it's like no, we're not doing that one. <laughs> no, I we're like doing the Rebecca ja- DeMornay version. Yeah, that's the Jack Webber Rebecca yeah. DeMornay version. I haven't so seen there's... that eons. I'm gonna have to dig that out somewhere. Yeah. So that'll be the Shining, um, the original ver, the original. Cubic um, film version and the miniseries that came out in 2004. Right. And of course, next um, next week we'll be doing Dark Shadows, which will be pending our Dark Shadows retrospective. Our next book's in screen. The week after that is Let the Right One In. And we'll be doing the, the Swedish film, Let the Right One In. And then, then we'll be back doing um, our 80s, which we'll be doing Necromantic, which is a 1980. 1980- 80s German film and <laughs> Basket Case from 1986. So it's good night for myself. A good night, Vicky. Good night, everybody. And see you next time. Bye.